You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Well, today we are rounding out um, our look at Matthew chapter 13, which I've called before the parabolic discourse on uh, the kingdom of heaven. One of Matthew's five passages that are discourse passages from Jesus where he's speaking at length. And we've spent a little bit of time here in Matthew 13 with all these parables. We first heard about the parable of the sower from Mike. And then I talked a couple weeks ago about the parable of the wheat and the tares, or you might say the wheat and the weeds. And last week, Brandon talked to us about the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven. Uh, and woven in throughout all those were some explanations where Jesus uh, gives some clarity to his disciples about what these, some of these parables at least mean. And today, uh, there are three more brief parables, just as last week uh, the parables weren't very long. Again, t- today, this week, uh, a, a sentence or two given to the uh, parable of a hidden treasure, the parable of a pearl of great value, and then uh, the net that catches uh, fish, which are eventually separated out. Which, by the way, is the reason I chose that Leviticus passage. It might seem a bit strange, but it's a reference to the, those kosher dietary laws where certain types of fish were... Uh, acceptable to eat, and some were detestable. And uh, in a similar way, the fish are separated out in the parable of the net. But I'd like to uh, mostly focus on the two parable, the first two parables today, the hidden treasure and the, uh, the pearl of great value, which are similar, though have a, a nuance to them. Uh, and I can, I'll, I'll um, circle back to, to the parable of the net at the end, but mostly want to talk about the first two. Um, basically, in this passage, we have that parable of the hidden treasure buried in a field, and a man uh, who on discovery, discovers this uh, treasure in the field uh, hides it, and then he goes and he sells all of his possessions so that he might buy the field and have the treasure. And uh, Jesus is uh, once again comparing this story to the kingdom of heaven and saying the kingdom of heaven is like this man who, on discovering the treasure, sold all that he had so that he might buy the field. And the second parable, like the first, uh, is a, a merchant, uh, who another man, but he's searching for multiple pearls, plural. And surprisingly, he finds just one of great value, And like the first man, he sells all that he has to get that one pearl. And so the the similar thrust in these two is that these men trade all they have for the one true treasure of everlasting value. And so these parables are, in effect, parables of conversion. These two parables, and you could even say the third with a net, are parables of conversion, of coming to faith. These men, upon finding uh, something that they actually weren't looking for, give up all that they had beforehand uh, for a new life, for a new life with that treasure in the field and for a new life with that one uh, most valuable pearl, above all pearls, plural. And, they, uh, and Jesus says uh, this is what life in his kingdom is like. 
becoming a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is like the man who found the treasure and the merchant who found the pearl. So I want to talk to you today about conversion, the idea of conversion. And I know not all have had sort of quote-unquote conversion experiences. Um, it's a it's a problematic idea to think that all need to have that precise moment of conversion, though um, some have it. But still, the idea of conversion itself is necessary, even if it's not in that sort of identifiable moment. Um, no matter our background, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, or as Matthew calls it, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, one must be born again, as Jesus said. Um, so some amount of bo- being born again or, or conversion is, in effect, necessary. And I, my own conversion experience that I've hinted at around here, but I've actually never told the story of this. I do have one of those stories where I can't identify a specific powerful moment. Um, and I know that I haven't told this story around the Advent at all. Um, I'd been sort of inwardly identifying as Christian for months and didn't tell a soul. Um, and I w- happened to be in Washington, D.C., where, uh, visiting where Holly uh, lived at the time after college, and she was working. And one day I decided to tell Holly, my wife, uh, who wasn't my wife then, um, because she was a Christian, and I needed to tell somebody. I needed this thing to change. So I went and met her after work, and we, we went to this park right outside of her office there in downtown D.C. has all these little one-block squares, and we sat in one there, and I awkwardly said, I th- think I might be a Christian. I don't know what to do. What am I supposed to do? How do I make this happen? And, you know, just both kind of weeping, she prayed with me there uh, because I couldn't, I just like, I couldn't even verbalize the words. And the rest is history. That really was the identifiable moment to point to, at least for me. And there are typical uh, Bible examples of similar experiences of these sort of total changes of life. Uh, The, the, um, The most uh, uh, famous one, perhaps, is Paul's conversion from Saul, where he went from persecutor of the church to a hero of the church, where Jesus actually came powerfully and knocked him off of his horse when he was going to persecute the church, and there is converted. And also, you might think of the Ethiopian eunuch with the ministry of Philip, the deacon. You have to imagine that the life... Uh, the Ethiopian eunuch and the queen of Ethiopia probably changed dramatically for him after becoming a follower of Jesus. We don't hear the rest of the story, but he had to go back to the court of Candace in Ethiopia, and I'm sure that life wasn't the same for him. And maybe you don't have a sort of dramatic story Uh, in your life. And as I said, I think that's actually okay. There's biblical precedent for this too. You might think of Timothy, uh, which is closer to most people's story of uh, being born again. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, Paul's writing to Timothy and he explains uh, back to Timothy his faith. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells and you as well. And so his faith was uh, maybe not one of the precision of Paul, but one that was nurtured from the cradle and yet still born again. 
conversion. Uh, the parable of the uh, the buried treasure. Um, I'm sorry. The parable of the um, I'm losing my pages here. Of the 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 pearl helps us to understand uh, contemporary life, perhaps even better than the peril the the parable of the hidden treasure. And that's because our modern life presents a sort of buffet of options. Um, our modern life presents a buffet of options, and this is perhaps never been more true than it is now today. Um, and not all the options in life are clearly spiritual, though they all have spiritual implications. Life is like the internet. You know, the internet, if you go on it, is this sort of black hole of endless choices, of endless options. And life is like that nowadays. So life is uh, just like the uh, merchant who went looking for the plural pearls. And to his surprise, he found just one that surpassed all the others. And this man had the wisdom to give up everything else uh, for the one true treasure that's worthwhile in life. When I was living in um, South Carolina, starting ministry, there was a woman who lived next door to us, and um, she died on a, let's say, a, a Tuesday and um, she wasn't very old, maybe in her 60s. And so she had adult children who were youngish, about my age. She died on a Tuesday. And on Friday and Saturday, her adult children had a garage sale at her home of all her possessions. And then on Monday, most of it was kicked to the curb and a truck came and picked up anything of value to take to the sort of goodwill. You know? So by within six days... All of the stuff of her life that had been accumulated um, was sold at a garage sale, kicked to the curb, or taken away to the equivalent of Jimmy Hale Mission down there in South Carolina. And so look, when you die, all the stuff of the options of the buffet of life is going to be sold at a garage sale. All the stuff that you've accumulated in this life is going to be sold at a garage sale or kicked to the curb or Jimmy Hale, your, you know, your 30-something daughter's going to come and have Jimmy Hale pick up all the stuff that she actually doesn't want in one week. All that stuff is, is going to go away. And this includes uh, not just your stuff. This also includes your career, your home, you know, with, even with the mortgage paid off your car, and don't you know that 99 point something percent of all cars are actually always losing value? They're always losing value, except for, um, you know, the ones that are really, really vintage and old, the way they don't make them anymore. But most of your cars are all losing value, even the Volvos and the Cadillacs, and your degrees, uh, your wardrobe, your makeup, your cosmetic surgery, and any other accomplishments, possessions, or things that you put all your energy into, all those pearls of life, are going to go away, the equivalent of a garage sale, or, uh, or cremated with your body. You know? um, and if you work for any sort of institution, uh, you'll work all your life, and then the day you retire, they'll take you out to a nice lunch, and they might um, <clears throat> buy you a gift like a watch or whatever, but then they're going to hire someone else in a week that they'd rather have worked there anyway. And if you donate any amount of money to an institution like this church or a college or something, you know, and they put your name on a building, in a decade after you die, nobody's going to actually, most people, 
Again, 99 point something percent of most people are not going to remember who you are within a decade. And then when they point to the building named after you, they'll mispronounce your name. So here's the moral of the story, okay? It's to be like the wise, man, the wise men in both these parables instead, and to choose the one true lasting treasure, and not to put your hope in anything else, or as I read each week, moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal, um, which includes the Jimmy Hale truck. <laughs> In other words, uh, these final parables in Matthew 13 are Jesus' altar call. He's just preached a sermon of parables, and he's ending it with an altar call with these two real short or three short parables. And so the placement of these is deliberate. Um, He's upping the ante with all these parables, raising the stakes each time, rather than just saying, you know, the end, high five, Let's go. You know, he, he, he elicits a response. He demands conversion. And he wants us to choose the kingdom over everything else. He wants, us, he wants to make us citizens of his kingdom. And I realize that some of you have an aversion to the idea of altar call because sometimes the way that that's done can be really problematic and manipulative. So I'm with you. But not always. I mean, Billy Graham just died like a week and a half ago or so, and he's someone who represents this, the, the culture of evangelicalism who placed a, a large emphasis on the idea of decision for Jesus. And I say, God bless the Billy Grahams of the world for doing so. Many of you have perhaps even come to faith because of a ministry like Billy Graham's or someone who is affected by him. And although the uh, altar call might seem like a a misplaced notion in the Episcopal Church, I actually believe that our communion service that we do so often is actually our version of a sort of altar call. And this is why we wrote a a note um, sort of explaining this in our bulletin. If you you just turn with me towards the end of your bulletin, it's on page uh, 18. If you've never read this before, we're going to read it all together, um, so you might notice this in future weeks. Under giving of communion, this is after we invite everybody to come forward, explains what's going on here. I'll just read the the first sentence there and then skip down to the second paragraph. All baptized believers who trust in Jesus, regardless of denominational background, are invited to receive both the bread and the wine at communion. And skipping ahead to the next paragraph. And let these be words directly to you today as I read them. If you're not in a saving relationship with God through Christ today, do not take the bread and wine, but take Christ and receive him in your heart as those around you receive the food. You may pray at your seat or come forward to receive a blessing from a minister by crossing your arms over your chest. Then immediately following the service, come and tell a minister or one of our leaders what you've done so we can prepare you to receive communion next time as a child of God. I hope you might take this seriously today, what that says. And I remind you of the gospel in light of all this, because it's important to remember why this all matters. Uh, We who read Matthew chapter 13 are in on a secret that the first audience who heard that sermon of parables didn't know yet. 
And that's that Jesus Christ died for us. The righteous for the unrighteous. And he rose from the dead for us so that we might live like the righteous in eternity. That's the good news. And for this reason, I want to go back to two weeks ago, just briefly, to the final verse of uh, the passage that I preached on from the wheat and the tares. After Jesus explains that parable, he says this is in uh, verse 43. You don't need to pull it out. Just listen to what I say. He says, after explaining the parable of the wheat and the tares, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. And so you can either shine like the sun in the kingdom of the father, or you can smolder like a spent wick in the domain of the prince of darkness. My new favorite uh, Bible verse, or really it's verses, comes from Colossians. This is from chapter 1, where Paul explains basically the same thing. He, speaking of the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is basically the message of the parable of the net, the sorting out, that we're either citizens of the kingdom of heaven or we aren't. And if you're already well aware of your own citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, I delight in reminding you of this news. As an ambassador of God's word, I say to you, rejoice during this life in anticipation of the eternal hope that you have. Uh, that you are one of uh, the citizens of the kingdom of heaven because of the Father's beloved Son. And if you've never had someone sort of put the screws on you before about this call, or you've just never responded before, then hear the call today and hear it now. His promises are for you. Receive the treasure and realize that it's actually a free gift And he's guided you to that treasure all along. He's guided you to the field. He has guided you to that fine pearl. I'm going to pray the way that Holly did for me that day long ago in Washington, D.C., right now. And I invite you to to just uh, make these words your own, to either bow your head or kneel if you want and close your eyes and just pray with me. And this will be the end of our sermon. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son, the King of Heaven. Help us to see what it is to be a citizen of the Kingdom of Heaven. Help us to give up all that we've valued in this life more than we have loved you. Help us not to be attached to anything or anyone leading us astray. Make us all in for your kingdom, which is our precious treasure. And in a life full of potential distractions like the thorns of the field, keep us from being choked by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, possessions, accomplishments, and the like. Deliver us from the domain of darkness. Transfer us to the kingdom of your Son, 
And may the truth and hope of the gospel be grafted inwardly in our hearts that we may bear the fruit of good living, loving you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving our neighbor, including our closest family members and friends, as we would want to be loved. Preserve us by your mercy in this life so that we might persevere to the end of the age. We love you. We pray to you by the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.